0: Good afternoon, and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Wellness Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo.
1: Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Wellness Community, a new internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm Kim Tiboldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community, an international nonprofit organization dedicated to providing support, Education and hope to people with cancer and their loved ones at over a hundred locations worldwide and also online at www.thewellnesscommunity.org. Before we begin today's topic, let's move to a segment we call Cancer in the News, which highlights the latest cancer headlines.
2: I'm Bill Schaefer, and this is today's Cancer in the News. A recent study of more than 30,000 postmenopausal women showed that strenuous activity, ranging from housework such as scrubbing floors to running, protected against breast cancer even among those who did not have a higher risk, the researchers said. While other studies have shown that being overweight puts women at increased risk of breast cancer, this study performed by the National Cancer Institute proved that even women without increased risk gained some benefit. Researchers used questionnaires to determine how often the women exercised vigorously. All were healthy when the study began. After 11 years, the researchers found that overall, the volunteers who exercised most were 13% less likely to have developed breast cancer. The reduced risk was even higher, 30%, when the researchers compared only women of normal weight. The effect was clearest among lean women. Interestingly, non-vigorous activity such as light housework, walking, hiking, and easy jogging did not seem to offer any protection against breast cancer. While researchers did not look at why exercise may help, they noted other studies have shown that working out reduces estrogen levels, a known risk factor for the disease, and protects the body's general immune system. Breast cancer is the leading cause of cancer deaths among women worldwide, according to the American Cancer Society. The group estimates about 465,000 women died of breast cancer globally in 2007, and 1.3 million new cases were diagnosed. A number of studies have shown that regular, strenuous exercise can help people avoid illness such as heart disease, cancer, and a range of other conditions. In other news, the research team has identified two genetic variations that appear to increase a person's risk of developing lung cancer by up to 60% and is relevant to both smokers and non-smokers. In April, the same researchers identified another gene that raised lung cancer risk, and they said that their latest finding was relevant for both smokers and non-smokers. While smoking is the leading risk factor, scientists are looking to genetics to explain why some long-time smokers never develop the disease and why some non-smokers do. The study, published in the journal Nature Genetics, included researchers from 18 countries who analyzed genetic mutations in more than 15,000 people, 6,000 with lung cancer and 9,000 without the disease. The researchers discovered a region on the fifth chromosome containing two genes where they believe variations can boost the likelihood of lung cancer by as much as 60%. The hope is that by identifying a gene that predisposes people to lung cancer, scientists will be able to then identify targeted drugs to treat the disease. Lung cancer is the leading cause of cancer death in men and the second leading cause of cancer death among women worldwide, according to the American Cancer Society, with about 975,000 men and 376,000 women estimated to die annually. I'm Bill Schaefer, and that's today's Cancer in the News.
1: There are over 12 million cancer survivors living in the United States today. 1.4 million people will be diagnosed with the disease this year alone. More than ever, people need to know how to cope with an illness that is affecting what seems like everyone around us. Cancer doesn't come with an instruction manual, and oftentimes people confronted with the diagnosis feel immediately at a loss. Yet, there are many resources available to patients and their loved ones to help them live uh, with, through, and hopefully beyond cancer. So let me uh, introduce our guests today. Um, In a day and age where we already have more stressors than ever, whether they are financial, environmental, getting to work, getting the kids to school, we all need guidance and support to deal with a serious illness. Um, On today's show, we're going to talk about ways to cope with cancer and what people can do to improve the quality of their lives. First, we are joined by Deborah. Ellis, a cancer survivor and a participant at the Wellness Community of Greater Washington D.C. Welcome, Deborah.
3: Thank you very much. Glad
1: to be here. We also have with us Sean Hubble. He is a licensed clinical social worker and the program director at our Wellness Community in Delaware. Thanks for being here, Sean. Oh, my pleasure, Kim. So, those of you really bring very important perspectives to the conversation today. So, I really want to want to jump right in, Deborah. Um, you are a two-time cancer survivor. Uh, tell us what it was like for you when you were first diagnosed with cancer um, and then what happened and when, when you were faced with that recurrence, what, what that was like. Take us back to that moment in time.
3: Um, okay. It was definitely disbelief and shock because mm-hmm. there was no history in my family at all. So after a routine mammogram, uh, I, I just couldn't believe it. Um, I had always had fibrocystic breast, meaning they were lumpy and mm-hmm. dense. Uh, so I was used to sort of, you know, that information. But I received a call from um, the doctor late Friday evening as I was packing to go on a trip to Atlanta to a wedding. Um, not the appropriate time for that type of information. It yeah. ruined my weekend. And of yeah. course, he said, oh, just enjoy your wedding. You'll be fine. You might have, a, have to have a mastectomy. We're not sure, but you'll be Okay. <laughs> It ruined my weekend. I bet it did. Um, when I got back from Atlanta, though, I really jumped into gear. I, I mean, I became um, just uh, my own self-advocate for my health. I um, made phone calls and just got very educated about, about everything. Um, it's like I was possessed. Um, so... We decided on on the lumpectomy and radiation, and actually it's three procedures because the first lumpectomy, I did not have clear margins, so I had to have a second lumpectomy a month later. Mm. Um, that's like being diagnosed again. I guess so. Um, and you're trying to decide, okay, what should I do this time? Um, so there, you know, it's a lot of emotions, not knowing what to do, um, and finally making a decision to have another lumpectomy and then dealing with the radiation for six weeks. I thought I was done. Mm. Exactly five years later, I received um, the diagnosis of infiltrating ductal carcinoma. Mm
1: hmm. Mm hmm.
3: And this time, I knew there was no escaping a mastectomy and uh, chemotherapy, so i was I was devastated um, It didn't get easier with each with each diagnosis it was yeah. it was it got progressively worse as far as handling uh, the news that you have breast cancer again. So, it isn't something that gets easy.
1: And Deborah, what what were the when you, when you had both these diagnoses, what were the emotions that you felt? Were you afraid? Were you unsure? Were you feeling oh, it was, overwhelmed? Well, what was it, what did it feel like?
3: It was, you know, at first it was disbelief. Uh, I was. I, I said, "Are you sure? You know, you've you've got the right person." Mm-hmm. Um, so you you want to get second opinions, and that is something that I did do um, is is to get second opinions yeah. from other doctors just to make sure that they're talking about me. Um, so disbelief was a big part of it, yeah. um, and and then of course shock. Especially when it's not in your family, you just can't believe that this is happening to you. Um, so, I think just disbelief and shock that this yeah. is going on in your life were the main.
1: Emotions that you're yes, going through. Absolutely. Well, Sean, you've been the program director at the wellness community in Delaware for many years. So tell us, first of all, you know, how typical is Deborah's experience because you're seeing cancer patients every single day come through the door and, and tell folks a little bit more about the wellness community, about the philosophy and how you, uh, there at the wellness community help people cope with the diagnosis of cancer. I'll be happy to. First, the philosophy, of
4: course, of the wellness community is that we offer programs of emotional support education and hope that help people hopefully recover from their cancer. And we do it in a number of ways through weekly support groups, uh, for people that are in active treatment and for monthly groups for people who have a specific kind of cancer. We also, of course, have mind-body programs that help people reduce stress and a lot of educational programs for specific kinds of cancer. And Deborah's uh, situation is not at all uncommon, especially uh, even the way she was told and the shock and disbelief that happens. I mean, that's so common in her response to it. And Deborah, it sounded like once you got over, the initial shocking uh, part of it was that you just threw yourself into educating yourself as much as you possibly could.
1: Immediately. Yes. Sean, when you say the way she was told is common. Tell us a little bit more about uh, that.
4: It, it, it sounds like it was, it, I mean, there was, no, there was no pre-warning. There wasn't like, you know, bring your bring your partner into the office, and I, I've got something to tell you. It's either on the telephone or it's just a real mm-hmm. sudden, you know, there's no history in the family, and bang, there you are. You're, you've got cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's like you're going. It's like you're planning a trip to the Caribbean, and the plain lands in Belgium. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you're not dressed. You're not you're not dressed for the occasion. You don't know the language. You know, and and you're kind of angry that you're not where you're, you're not lying on a beach somewhere. So it just completely throws people's life upside down. As it sounds like it did, Debra's
1: absolutely. So, Sean, talk a little bit more about then, you know, if someone comes through the door of the wellness community, they've been diagnosed with cancer, they're, you know, freaked out, um, don't know what to do, don't really know how to make these decisions, how to, how to, look at the priorities in their life in order to make these decisions they're really kind of turned upside down so what do you do
4: well it, as they walk in the door of course they're probably going to meet with other people right away that are uh, have survived cancer already and are in good shape uh, most of the people who person the front desk at the Average Wellness Community are cancer survivors who are volunteering to give back some after they've uh, recovered from their own cancer mm-hmm. and they will also meet with a some aspect of the professional staff who will uh, talk to them a little bit about the situation, just as Deborah had just described, and uh, offer to have them go into a weekly support group, let's say, uh, or a monthly group. And uh, if, you know, had Deborah come early, I think probably what I would have said is, Deborah, how about we talk about getting into a weekly support group where you'll meet with other people who are in active treatment and dealing with the isolation and the loss of hope and loss of control that a Kind of universally accompanies a cancer diagnosis
1: mm-hmm. Deborah, what motivated you to get a second opinion, or who suggested that
3: oh it was it was just me. it was my heart guiding me.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, I, I sought second opinions, um, I took notes, I kept a diary, I went online, um, and I actually did reach out to um, an, another nonprofit organization just for the support. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just something natural it was like i clicked into gear
1: uh it just happened naturally it was from the heart so you said you really just decided you were going you you needed to become an advocate for your own health and all oh well-being. absolutely so no, and nobody else was going to be the captain of that team
3: no no i did have my devoted husband beside me he was in tow he was amazed at at all of the things that i was doing but i immediately just became very educated um on a lot of things and and just by going talking to people um just, uh, reaching out. Reaching out.
1: What was that first support program that you participated in, Deborah? Different- I participated in a program called Rise Sister Rise, which was a support group for um,
3: women of color um, dealing with breast cancer. Unfortunately, that group is now defunct. Um, it's it's not operating any longer. We still maintain friendships, and it's really amazing because I was planning to have an, a celebratory occasion at my home because we had all reached the five year mark, Mm. and I found out, uh, let's see, the, the celebration was going to be on a Sunday. And I found out the Thursday prior that I was having a recurrence. Mm-hmm. Um, so I continued to have the celebration anyway with my, my Rise, Sister, Rise um, survivor sisters at my house. And when they got here, I told them that um, I had a recurrence. And it was so funny. We were all sitting around the dining room table, and the next thing I know, because they knew I was going to have to have a mastectomy, they whipped their shirts off mm-hmm. <laughs> to show me what it would be like and that I was going to be okay, and it was a great moment for me. So just... connecting with people who have it been it was through. a great moment for me so we continue that friendship but the organization is, is no longer there
1: now one thing you mentioned Deborah that, I, that that was interesting to me is that one of the reasons you were so surprised was because there was no family history of breast cancer um, mm-hmm. and it's, it's it's interesting because I think that's one of the misconceptions that people have about cancer is that folks think well if I don't have anybody in my family who had cancer you know who who's had cancer then you know i'm not going to get cancer or i have a maybe a much lower risk of getting cancer but you know it's interesting in breast cancer in particular more than 70% of all breast cancers have no known genetic link and i think that do you do you think that sometimes people have the perception that that most cancers are genetic or that that you you know you're falling at a much higher risk
3: I I am so glad to do things like I'm doing right now to let people know that this can happen to you. I have friends who who know this now, and they are more more proactive in their lives, making sure they uh, get their mammograms because it can happen
1: to anyone. I also... Yeah, I find that also people think you have to have a lump and uh, that, you know, you go to get a mammogram if you find a lump that people don't know that starting at 40, you should start getting a mammogram yeah. every year.
3: I did not have a lump. Yeah. I did not have a lump in any, in any of the situations. So, so you were
1: just getting your regular annual mammogram? Just regular annual
3: mammogram. Yeah. So
1: you're encouraging people to understand that it's not always a genetic link. You need to get out and get your mammograms. You need to do breast self-exam. You're really trying to get that word out?
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. I have to do that now. I have to.
1: Well, we're we're gonna uh, we're gonna take a quick break here. Um, we are talking today uh, to um, two fantastic people, Deborah Ellis, who is a breast cancer survivor who participates in our wellness community here in uh, in the greater Washington D.C. area. Actually, you're right up the street from us, Deborah. Our headquarters are here in Washington at the Wellness Community, uh, and then we also have Sean Hebble, who is the program director at our Wellness Community in uh, Delaware. We're going to hear a little bit more. More, uh, from both of our guests in a moment and in fact Sean I'm going to when we come back from the break I'm going to ask you to talk a little bit more about the wellness community where you're providing service uh, around the state and a little bit more about some of the different programs uh, and services that you provide there so we today are on our uh, a talk. At, frankly speaking about cancer we're talking about how to cope with cancer with Deborah Ellis and Sean Hebel we'll be right back
0: Your life, your health, your network. Voice America Health & Wellness. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions. How to get comfortable with new physical realities. How to reassure worried family members or explain to friends your priorities have changed. For more than 25 years, the wellness community has been the nation's leader in providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at one of our 26 centers in the U.S. and abroad, the wellness community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-WELL or visit us online at www.thewellnesscommunity.org. That's thewellnesscommunity.org. The Wellness Community, celebrating over 25 years of cancer support, education, education and hope.
2: It attacks the brain and you might not know what hit you.
0: It's a stroke and it can cripple or kill you.
2: If suddenly you're numb or weak on one side, limb or face.
0: It could be a stroke. Get help. There's no time to waste.
2: It could even be a sudden severe headache without cause.
0: If you wait to get help, time lost is brain lost.
2: Maybe it's a loved one slurring their speech or dizzy.
0: Call 911 and get medical help quickly.
2: There are even more symptoms that I did not mention.
0: So call or hit the web for information and prevention.
2: Blacks have a higher occurrence. Do you want to know more?
0: Call 1-888-4-STROKE or visit www.strokeassociation.org.
2: High blood pressure, diabetes, and obesity.
0: All make the risk of a stroke more likely.
2: But remember, if it happens, do not delay.
0: Or disability might be the price you pay. A public service message brought to you by the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Wellness Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community.
1: Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm Kim Tebeldo, and today we're joined by Deborah Ellis, a cancer survivor and participant at our wellness community in greater Washington, D.C., and Sean Hebel, program director at our wellness community in Delaware. And uh, Sean is a social worker by training. We're talking about how to cope with a cancer diagnosis and what you can do to play an active role in improving your cancer experience. So, Deborah, you talked a little bit about your early experience with cancer when you were diagnosed two surgeries early on and then a recurrence of, uh, of cancer you talked a little bit about one of the groups that uh, you had been involved with um, Rise Sister Rise tell us about how you found the wellness community of greater Washington D.C. and what kind of programs you have been participating in at the wellness community there
3: sure um My visit at my oncologist's office, um, she had just spoken to um, the wellness community in Bethesda. Um, It was an educational program of some sorts. And I saw the brochure in her office and asked her about it, and she went on and on and on. Number one, about the people that work there, and number two, about the site itself. Talked about how beautiful it was. I left the office on a high because I felt that I found another support system. Mm. I called immediately as soon as I got home just to make sure that I could just walk into the newcomer's orientation. And, of course, they said, please come on in, and it started from there, and it's been a love affair ever since
1: so so what do you, what do you do there at the wellness community? Oh, okay, Deborah? well,
3: let me tell you that I started with uh, gentle yoga, which um, got me through chemotherapy. Um, it was something that I had to look forward to during my chemo treatment um, every day as a as a cancer patient, you have to wake up every day um, with something with a, a a goal or something to accomplish, and just lying around in the bed or not feeling well is not. To get it, and I found that getting out, getting dressed, and going to um, the gentle yoga was was very motivating for me. It got me going mentally and physically. Um, it felt great. Uh, I was moving my body, and and I just absolutely loved it. Um, so I've been a participant in the gen- gentle yoga class mm. from the very very beginning. Um, I've I've done a lot of the other classes. Um, there's a breathing techniques class that I that I just absolutely adore. It's it just it's a wonderful way to to get your body to calm down and get your mind to calm down. Um, just recently, I've started with the the wellness communities walks, um, where we're learning how actually to go to to walk and and walks are very beneficial, of course. Just moving your body, yeah, sure. Um, lots of lunch and learn sessions. Um, it's just been great. Just the camaraderie, the environment of the facility is just awesome. It's so inviting. As When you entertain in your home, the first thing that people do is gather in your kitchen. Well, the wellness community in Bethesda is, is sort of wrapped around this inviting kitchen that you just want to have a seat, have a cup of tea, and relax. So it's just a great place. I'm so glad I found it.
1: And, and Deborah, I understand that when you, the first time you walked through the door there at the uh, wellness community, there, was, there oh, happened to have been a familiar face.
3: Oh, my goodness. Barbara Schaefer is my angel. I tell everyone she, she's my angel. I have known her for, for many years. Um, she helped me deal with my father's lung cancer mm-hmm. um, Many, many years ago, uh, she was great a great help. I could just walk into barbara 's office and sit down and that 's exactly what I did when I was bringing my father um, for his treatment. I walked into barbara 's office and said, "Barbara, guess what i've had breast cancer." Mm. And she helped me um, figure out what surgeon I would, was going to use for my treatment. She's just an awesome woman. So when I walked in and saw her at the wellness community, I, I just couldn't believe it. It
1: was like... Meant to be. Yeah, absolutely. Nice. That's terrific. <laughs> That's terrific. And, and bar- stories happened in Delaware. And it's just uh, Barbara's our program director in Washington. Sean's uh, colleague there. So, Sean, I know besides being there in Wilmington, you're, you're kind of all over the state of Delaware now. Tell us, tell us what's happening at our wellness communities in Delaware, and tell us a little bit more about the kinds of programs and services there. Well, the Wilmington office, of course,
4: has been open since 1996, and. Uh, But somewhere in the early uh, 2000s, we felt that uh, there were many people in the middle and southern part of the state that also had similar emotional needs and that were just not being addressed. And so we, uh, in 2002, we uh moved into Dover which is the middle of the state the Kent County office we have an out uh you know a satellite office in Dover that is actually open four uh, four days a week and, and some evenings now and in 2004 we we began uh, offering services and and actually moved into a location in 2006 in Rehoboth Beach that also offers services to those uh Sussex County residents and we have a couple of outreach programs in Western Sussex and in Western Kent County in the middle of the state too in addition to our wellness community here and our community-based programs in the city of Wilmington. So we are pretty well have the state of Delaware covered, I think.
1: And are you serving a diverse range of, of people there in Delaware?
4: Well, we certainly uh, noticed it somewhere uh, early on that we were not serving uh, the diverse needs of all the people in Wilmington, which is part of the reason we do our community-based programs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think transportation sometimes is an issue, and mm-hmm. sometimes the needs of people in the inner city area are are somewhat different, uh, both emotionally and technically, than uh than we have here at the wellness community in Wilmington, and so we have several programs in the city that offer uh, in the in the specific communities uh, programs for that community uh, in English and in Spanish. Soon, we're not we haven't quite got to that part yet, but we're very close to offering programs in
3: Spanish.
1: That's great. That's great, Sean. Um, I want to turn to um, I want to turn to talking about caregivers for a couple of minutes here. Um, Oftentimes the focus is on the patient, and we forget about the needs of the caregivers. And, boy, sometimes these caregivers are just getting up every day, going strong, supporting cancer patients, and we're not doing as much as we need to do to address the needs of friends and family who are supporting cancer patients. Um, Deborah, can you tell us a little bit about um, how your friends and family helped you through your cancer experience?
3: Uh, I am blessed to have a very strong and supportive um, family System and a group of friends. Um, but, of course, each person, each member of, of the family handles the diagnosis in, in their own way. Um, they can have the same feelings that I have. I mean, they're afraid. Um, they're shocked. They're in despair just as much as, as I am, and it's hard for them because they're feeling helpless because they don't have the answer for you. So... Um, I found the the best way to deal with that is to tell them what you need um, give them a list of things that they can help you with um, it's it 's most helpful. Um, for you to share um, what you know, what it is, how they can help you,
1: because they you think they they really want that direction.
3: Absolutely, they really absolutely. want some guidance. They want to? They want to reach out and help. And so assign tasks to them, and this will this will help them work through their fears. And and it's what are the
1: like, kinds of things, Deborah, that that that, care, that that caregivers, friends, neighbors can do to help someone with cancer? Oh
3: well, for for me, it was it was so funny because I'm a caregiver. For yeah. my mother, who mm-hmm. was 94 years old, mm-hmm. so mine revolved around helping me with my with my mother. Helping you her help her. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. I mean, it can range from things uh, like tasks um, for cooking or shopping to sit down and just talk to me. Um, I had a friend who called me every single day. Just to check on me, we didn't have to have a long conversation. She would just call and say, are you okay today? Yeah, I'm fine. Mm. And that was it. Um, I had a friend who would come over and we'd go for walks, and it's amazing. Our walks progressed from going around the block to now we walk three miles every day.
1: Oh, fantastic. Mm. So, fantastic. I also know... uh, hear Deborah talk to some folks with cancer who have young children, and I, and they've said to me, Kim, you know, I just... I wanted to figure out how I could keep my child's life as normal as possible. And so they really tapped their friends and neighbors and family to help keep the children's lives normal, get them to school, get them to soccer, mm-hmm. get them to plays, get them to ballet, mm-hmm. let them feel like they can still do all the things that they want to be doing in their lives um, and and help them keep a sense of normalcy through a pretty difficult situation.
3: Right. And, and see, these people, your friends and your family, will feel like they're contributing in some way to your treatment. So everyone, wellness. I think mm-hmm. everyone feels helpless wellness.
4: in the face of cancer, and I think uh, it's so wonderful when uh, friends and family step up to be able to give them the opportunity to help. Yeah. That ride to and from radiation therapy is a great oh, yeah. opportunity for people to spend time with you, find out what goes on in, in that uh, situation, and support you.
1: So, Sean, you know, um, I think that one of the things that's unique, certainly about the wellness community, is that we provide services to not only patients but to caregivers. Absolutely. And Absolutely. You know, it's been my observation, you know, having traveled all over the country to all of our wellness communities that sometimes the stresses are even greater for the caregiver than they are for the patient. Uh, that, that the patient can say, I'm tired, I'm scared, I'm sad, I'm staying in bed, I'm, you know, I'm not doing it. The caregiver just has to get up and has to keep going. How can we help the caregivers manage this enormous stress?
4: Well, I think there are any number of ways but i I agree with you and Deborah a hundred percent, and that is that uh, caregivers I think sometimes have far more stress than the person who has cancer who can kind of focus on their recovery uh you know singularly and uh and then the caregiver is left with everything else that maybe that person's not able to do because of their own treatment. Mm-hmm. We do provide weekly support groups for the caregiver, and they coincide with the participant group. So as people come into their regular cancer support group, their immediate caregiver can go into another room with their own facilitator and talk about the things that um, that's on their mind and maybe they don't even want to share with the person close to them at that point. Um, uh, but we... And we also can offer the Tai Chi yoga and stress reduction programs, uh, which end the educational programs, but primarily, I think the stress reduction programs, because I see the people who are the caregiver, I think, being far more stressed sometimes than even the person with cancer.
1: So tell us. So tell us again, Sean. What What are the? Tell us more about the
4: stress reduction program. Well, we do uh, pretty routinely. I, I know, and I can speak, of course, about Delaware. But I think most of the wellness communities around the country have a pretty active uh, mind body program that includes tai chi, includes yoga. We do mindfulness-based stress reduction at both two of our three facilities in Delaware.
3: A restorative Um, yoga program as well. I've I've taken advantage of that. That's awesome.
4: Yeah.
3: Mm -hmm. Uh, And
4: we've done... uh, uh, self-hypnosis for relaxation, self-hypnosis for pain control. So there are mm-hmm. any number of mind-body things that not only the person with cancer, but their caregiver uh, can take advantage of. But the problem sometimes, I think, with caregivers taking advantage of it is is it's another time commitment amongst, you know, when they're already Many. stressed with their time.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So really it's about, it's about giving the, the caregiver permission. It's about... Absolutely. You know, they're they're caring for everybody else, and you've got to prioritize yourself somewhere in the top five. Right. So you have to give yourself permission to take that time out to do some things for yourself and really to understand that by doing that, you're going to be a better caregiver to that person that you love. So, Sean, uh, Deborah, we're going to go to um, a quick break. Uh, We're having a great conversation about how to cope with cancer. We're taking a quick break, and we will be right back.
0: A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. Holistic Health and Well-Being covers many facets, including stress, time management, weight loss, cardiovascular training, and aging. And that's just to name a few. Your Life Without Limits will help to sort it all out for you. Join host Joe Sardi and the top minds in holistic health and well-being for an educational and entertaining hour. Listen for Your Life Without Limits. Heard every Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network work effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery for the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing how to handle co-workers questions how to get comfortable with new physical realities how to reassure worried family members or explain to friends your priorities have changed for more than 25 years the wellness community has been the nation's leader in providing free counseling education and hope for survivors and their caregivers whether online or at one of our 26 centers in the U.S. and abroad, the wellness community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-WELL or visit us online at www.thewellnesscommunity.org. That's thewellnesscommunity.org. The Wellness Community, celebrating over 25 years of cancer support, education, education and hope a fresh look at today's health voice america health and wellness You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Wellness Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community.
1: Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm Kim Tebaldo, and today we're talking about how to deal with the cancer diagnosis. We are joined by Deborah Ellis, a cancer survivor and a participant at the Wellness Community of Greater Washington, D.C., and Sean Hevel, who is a, a licensed clinical social worker and the program director at the Wellness Community in Delaware. Uh, Sean, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, there are more than 12 million cancer survivors living in the U.S. today. Um, cancer is, is really slowly becoming more of a chronic illness and not the death sentence that it was necessarily perceived to be, even just a, a few years ago. How do you think the public, how do you think cancer patients have, are starting to shift their thinking towards the disease, and, and what are some of the key issues people have to think about, not only during treatment, but then into, really into survivorship and some of the issues post-treatment? Mm-hmm.
4: Well, I even think cancer, uh, cancer treatment itself is uh, and research for cancer treatment is is complementing the fact that this is becoming more of a chronic illness by improving people's quality of life. And I think that is quality treatment and quality of life are the two big issues for treating cancer as a uh, as a chronic illness. Um, I see more and more people here um, you know, get treated in the beginning and hopefully get well, but if it comes back again, many treatment options still being available and frequently not the kind of devastating side effects that used to be associated with cancer treatment even 10 or 15 years ago. So people seem to be living more fully, longer lives by keeping the quality of their life as
1: high as possible. So, so we we are understanding that we are understanding that we're seeing a decrease, an increase in the incidence of cancer. So more people are actually being diagnosed with cancer, but we're just in the past few years starting to see a decrease in deaths from cancer right. mortality rates. So we are attributing that to, uh, I think, better screenings. Mm-hmm. Better education about screening. I think we can attribute that also to, as you're suggesting, Sean, better treatments. Yeah, improved treatment, absolutely. Improved treatments, more more treatments, and then you also mentioned, I think, through through treatment and through certainly the kind of work that we do at the wellness community, that people are learning how to live a better quality
4: of life with cancer. Absolutely, I think that's part of what we teach, and part of it comes up in every individual support group. Uh, uh, that is how do we live better? We have, you know, we all have cancer, and uh, at the same time. It affects our lives, but it doesn't have to be the devastating effect that maybe it had 10 or 15 years ago because the treatment modalities have improved. And uh, dealing, uh, you know, together with this illness, uh, we can make it.
1: You know, Sean, I know 26 years ago when the wellness community was founded, first of all, cancer was only talked about in sort of hushes and whispers. Right. And also it was a pretty ravaging disease. People were oftentimes getting their treatment while they were in the hospital. They were very ill from treatment. Um, and now I, I uh, we did a survey last year of people with cancer, and the survey found that 60% of the people we surveyed were working full-time during cancer treatment. Are you? Is that something you're seeing often, Sean? Is that, is that common? I, I, yeah, it's hard to say
4: 60%, but and most of the participants at the Delaware Wellness Community are young enough to still be in the workforce, mm-hmm. and I would say a very strong percentage of them continue to work in some fashion during uh, their treatment and beyond and a lot of times uh the work sites are being are recognizing this and being able to help people stay employed by being flexible by you know job sharing and that kind of thing so it's it's been a remarkable shift in the last 10 years I think as it relates to that
1: yeah yeah so, De- Deborah, when you were going through your initial diagnosis and then you had this this recurrence of cancer, mm-hmm. tell me, how did you think about your, your future? Did you think about your future? Were you making plans for a week down the road, a month down the road, a year down the road? How, how did you approach that?
3: Well, Kim, actually, when you're dealing with breast, just dealing with breast cancer is overwhelming. And... When you're in it, you're just totally consumed with your cancer diagnosis. Um, and the future is not an immediate thought. The first thought was just to get through the treatment. So, you, you know, after I think that it's after the treatments are sort of over or, or midway or something, you begin to start, you know, thinking more about the future. And, um, you know, every day in the beginning, you're thinking about, well, you know, is it going to come back? Will it return? You know, will it come back somewhere else? But as time passes, you become less less fearful. Um, and I think, you know, staying focused um, on your own well being and believing that you're a survivor um, is really the future thought. I mean, it's, it's like I'm not really planning certain things. The, the main focus of the future is just my own well-being.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: After I get over, you know, the treatment and everything else, then I start thinking about the future of, of just making sure I'm doing everything
1: beneficial to my health. So tell me some things you're planning right now for yourself, Deborah.
3: Oh, my goodness. I can tell you that I was at the wellness community attending an art therapy session. Mm-hmm. We had to create a collage. And the collage was to represent the future for you. Uh. So. I ended up retiring from my job (laughs) I did for 20 years Mm -hmm. Um, I was always on the fence about it but you know through this art therapy it really helped the art therapy session really helped Um, I decided to retire um, after 20 years of working for the same company and uh, branch off and just start doing some some other things in life that I wanted to do and that's what I'm doing and actually the wellness community is a part of that I'm volunteering every Monday at the Newcomers Orientation. I'm doing things for Deborah now. Mm. You know, not necessarily, you know, I was doing this job for 20 years. Let me stay here another 10 years. No, I decided I'm going to retire and do things that Deborah wants to do now. Fantastic. And I'm loving it. Absolutely loving it.
1: Fantastic. I'm
3: creating my days as I go along. I love it.
1: That's great. Mm-hmm. Sean, how important is that for people to make plans for the future? But, I mean, we hear oftentimes that cancer is a wake-up call for I people. It makes them think about their their life in a different way. It makes them kind of reprioritize. What, tell us about that.
4: Well, I think cancer is is a wake-up call, and I think people, um, once they get through the initial shock and disbelief that Deborah talked about earlier, it can really... Um, you know uh strike a balance in their life it's listening to deborah 's uh, retirement from work reminded me of so many different people in the in the wellness community groups here that make decisions uh that are more important to them um, or or find work not as meaningful as it was before, you know, going in and arguing a point in a business meeting tends to pale in comparison to the things that you struggle with day in life when you've been diagnosed and treated for cancer. And so I think people can learn to live more fully their life every moment and make whatever plans they can, whether it be for the next minute or for the next year uh, after being
1: diagnosed with cancer. Do you... Um... What What about Sean folks who've been diagnosed with metastatic disease?
4: Well, um, certainly yeah we certainly don't uh, uh, you know we have many, many people. I think my Wednesday night group right now has mostly people with metastatic disease, and they are living their life fully every day with this illness, several of them well beyond the initial uh, the initial uh, prognostic uh, indications from their physician uh because uh you know, nobody really knows the future, and you get up in the morning and you put one foot in front of the other, and I think it's really uh, remarkable to see people who are living with advanced cancer uh teach us a whole lot of stuff as to how to live fully every day.
1: Deborah do you think that when you participate uh, when you participate in the newcomer groups when you go back and participate in these programs at the wellness community is that is that part of your therapy is that part of your why do, why do you do it tell us why you do it
3: oh my goodness too It's good for me, and it's good for, I'm sure it's good for others, too. But when you're in an environment like that and you're sharing your story, um, it it helps, number one, to always talk about it to get things out. Um, And then, of course, as, as you go around and you listen to other people's story, it kind of puts your deal into perspective. Okay, well, I'm not as, you know, I'm a little blessed. I didn't have to go through what she had to go through, so I'm feeling good about that. And then, of course, you are there as, someone um, who who is not as fortunate as you and may have had a more serious illness, and you're there as a survivor, and it offers some support to them as well. So it's sort of twofold. It goes uh, hand in hand. You're feeling good um, about yourself, and then, of course, you know, others are looking at you, and and everything is positive going back and forth among each other. So I I really enjoy the
1: sessions of just listening and talking um, and fellowshipping. Mm -hmm. Sean we're going to take a break in just a minute but is that a common experience you have a lot of folks who want to come and give back in some way
4: Absolutely, if not here at other places. We have many people that volunteer at other organizations too, but almost everybody here comes and does something at the wellness community as they recover. And, and that happens even as they're still here in active mm-hmm. participation of the groups. You can see the people that have been in the groups three or four months helping the newcomers that come in to the group and those that have been there a little bit longer helping the ones in the middle. So it's, uh, it's remarkable how that can happen.
1: What, what are, what are uh, some of the things that the volunteers do, Sean?
4: Uh, Well, the volunteers can do, uh, and from the mundane to the important, I think the volunteers who have cancer primarily are here to uh, serve as uh, examples to those who are newly diagnosed and come into the door that. You know, usually with the volunteers that sit at the front desk, of course, is someone that has survived cancer. And the first thing that a person sees when they walk in is, "Hey, you can do it. You can be looking as well as this gentleman or this woman does, who's sitting here at the front desk." You know, they, they uh, you know they have the magic key. They're the ones that are right there mm-hmm. and have already been through it. And uh, uh, but there are certainly other. Uh, we have, of course, we have these lovely properties, and so there's uh, some mm-hmm. people volunteer to do some stuff around the gardens here. Some people have volunteered to put mailings together and to work on some of that kind of thing, so we have many of the people that come out of the support groups uh, help us out in many ways.
1: That's fantastic, and I know we're all very grateful for uh, all of our wonderful volunteers at the wellness communities, and I know at other nonprofits, both inside of cancer and uh, outside of cancer. We're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We've been having a great conversation today with Sean Hevel and Deborah Ellis about coping with cancer. Uh, we just talked a little bit about survivorship, about volunteerism, uh, about some of the things that people can do both during and after treatment to help them cope with the disease. Um, you know, unfortunately, we know that not everyone survives cancer. Uh, Sean, I want to talk a little bit about that. I think sometimes people shy away from that subject, but I know that we don't shy away from it at the wellness community. Um, And I'd I'd like for you to tell folks a little bit about um, how the wellness community helps cancer patients and their loved ones really cope with some of these end-of-life issues.
4: I think the end-of-life issues actually come up in in the weekly support groups and the monthly support groups, especially... The people who wind up getting sicker in those groups, uh, they bring those issues right into the group and they get discussed. And and you're right, Kim, this isn't the society that is uh, kind of shies away from end-of-life discussions. Everything is youth-oriented and and life-oriented when, in fact, of course, the final phase of life is dying. And uh, I think the people in the weekly groups and those who don't do so well when they come through here can show by the example of how they enter into that phase and the openness and the honesty that they can bring into the group Groups uh, can be remarkable and, and, uh, and very life-affirming in many ways.
1: You know, Sean, I was at our wellness community in St. Louis, and I was talking to a man whose wife was dying from breast cancer, and uh, they, he and his wife both participated in groups and programs at the wellness community. And I, and I asked him, I said, what has the wellness community meant to you and your wife? Um, he said, you know, I never imagined that I could watch my wife deteriorate physically. While at the same time become more whole as a person yeah, that's what do you think he meant by that? Well, I think um, certainly you can
4: um, you can uh, the disease can progress and uh, the body can diminish but the mind and the soul can expand and mm-hmm. i think that's probably what he meant and uh, mm-hmm. you see that frequently here with people as their bodies become even more slight in front of you as the cancer you know takes hold uh, a lot of times they become much more open much more willing to share much more instructive as to how to go into this uh, and and helpful in the fear that other people fear about that particular phase of life and i just see over and over again where people can become more open that point in life and really help others even more
1: mm-hmm. yeah. yeah it is amazing it is amazing I, uh, so many stories I also remember a story about a man in Cincinnati who was dying and his wife was uh, you know at his bedside and one of the things that he was dying he said to her was you know go back to my group and tell them that it's okay mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> the mind tell them is that powerful it's okay yes, yep. the mind is a powerful organ
4: yes it is and mm-hmm. the
1: heart too I think absolutely mm-hmm.
4: and so I think it's it.
1: go ahead, go ahead Sean
4: I was thinking of a gentleman that was in one of the groups who, at one moment in the group, as he was getting sicker said, you know, one of the things that's really giving me great comfort right now is knowing that I will go on in this group and that the group, uh, that was part of what he learned. He was a very isolated guy before he got into the group, and the group really took him on and mm-hmm. as, a, as a friend. And, uh, and he was comforted by the fact that even though he may die of his cancer, his spirit was going to go on and his memory would go on in the group. So there
1: was really some legacy that he was leaving. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's fantastic. And, you know, Sean, I think that, um, you know, I think we have to be open about these discussions because I've had some people, particularly people with metastatic disease who know that they very well may die from cancer, saying, you know, sometimes I don't feel like there's a place for me in, in in the cancer conversation, you know, that it's about, you know, it's about being strong, it's about doing marathons, it's about, you know, Race for the Cure, it's about, and I think those are all great and really important, you know, activities that are happening in our society but you know we're not on tv and we're not on websites of you know talking about how to die well with cancer and i think that one of the things i've learned is that at the wellness community we teach people how to live well with cancer but we also teach people how to die well with cancer
4: and we uh, have a group here at the Wellness Community called Exploring Your Mortality. That's a monthly group run by one of our bereavement specialists in town. And it's a fabulous group, although it is sort of geared towards end-of-life issues. Uh, it isn't the people that are the sickest that necessarily come, because where else can you go and talk about some of this stuff?
1: Right. And
4: uh, we provide that, so it's great.
1: Right. Well, we're coming, uh, towards the end of our show, but, um, again, you both have such amazing and unique experiences that you bring to this conversation. So I'm going to start with Deborah, and I'm going to ask each of you to share what would, what, what would your pieces of advice be to folks with cancer? What tips would you give them? What, what advice would you give them? Either practical or philosophical or, you know, I'd just love to hear a little bit from both of you about what advice you would give to these folks who are dealing with this right now today. Deborah?
3: Um, find that peace within, um, find the peace within and stay passionate about life. Um, when I was going through my journal, um, cause I kept a journal the entire time, I wrote something down. I don't know where I got it from, but I've read it over and over again. And it says, whether or not you're able to change I'm sorry, whether or not you're able to change the course of breast cancer, you can unquestionably alter the human experience of the illness. Mm. The work that we do to transform the experience of the illness may also have an effect on the course of the disease. Mm. I love that. I absolutely love that. So, um, you know, I, I... I really think to work with the flow of life is very important, and to have a positive expectation of good yeah. is key.
1: And Mm-hmm.
3: And, you know, there will always be uh, good times, bad times, the best of times, the worst of times. There's always two realms existing at the same time, and you you have to to, to know that. I mean, there's good, there's bad, there's evil and good, but you have to stay focused on the positive. You have to, to find that peace within and just stay passionate.
1: And kind of learn how to move in and out of both those experiences. Absolutely, absolutely. Absolutely. Sean, I, I think it's a little bit hard to follow that. I know. I'm sorry I know, a, put you great. on the spot here, Sean. <laughs> I just love that. Well, I'm not going to be able to have a quote. <laughs> yeah, but, I, don't, uh, I don't know
3: where the quote came from, but I love it. It's a
1: great quote. But, Sean, I know, listen, you've you you know, you've dedicated your life to this work. You're, you know, every day um, a part of this this human experience and, and, and trying to improve this human experience. So tell us, what would your advice be to folks who are going through this? Well, I think, you know, at one point,
4: Cancer was viewed and probably still is in some segments as a death sentence that you're diagnosed with cancer and your life is over. And I think if I, if there's anything I can impart is that sometimes uh, cancer is not only not a death sentence, it's an opportunity for growth, an opportunity for people to uh, surpass even their wildest dreams as it relates to any challenge that you can overcome, regardless of where it goes, whether it you know, whether it leads in the eventual death of the person or whether it leads in, in, in health. That it's a great opportunity for people to be able to uh, to improve their life and to live fully every day.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely, absolutely. And the wellness community certainly is beneficial. To, to me, it was very,
1: very beneficial for me. Um, so I, I'd like to thank you. Well, Deborah, I would, we'd like to thank you for for the decision that you've made to give back to the organization and for sharing uh, your story with us, with our listeners, with uh, with so many folks, because it's so valuable, I think, for people uh, to hear these wonderful stories of inspiration and, and how folks have coped uh, with this illness, how they've lived with, through, and beyond uh, cancer, and so we want to thank you, and I know there's so many wonderful uh, support programs, so many wonderful resources out there uh, for people with Cancer. We want to encourage people when they're diagnosed to talk to their doctor to get information about what resources exist, support groups, education, information, nutrition, exercise, um, because there are wonderful resources in communities all across the country, and we want to encourage people to really integrate that as part of their overall uh, cancer care. I want to thank both of you again uh, for being on the show today. Uh, Deborah Ellis and Sean Hebble. you've been just wonderful guests. I think our listeners learned a great deal from both of you, and we've talked about a lot of important important uh, topics today. I want to remind folks about uh, our website. It's www.thewellnesscommunity.org. On that site, you can get a bunch of great uh, educational information about all different cancers. You can join an online support group. You can find out about our face-to-face services, free services at over 100 locations worldwide. If you don't have access to the web, you can call us at 888-793-WELL, uh, W-E-L-L. Um, again, we're this year celebrating our 26th anniversary of free services uh, to people affected by cancer. We're all over the U.S. We're now abroad in many countries. Um, and uh, we really want to encourage folks to get support, to get educated, as every said you have to take control you have to be your own advocate so to get support to get educated and i want to dedicate this show to all of our wonderful staff at our wellness communities across the country sean and all of your colleagues who are doing such great work until next time be well do well live well